Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Vets, the podcast of the New York State Veterinary Medical Society. And I'm your host, Tim Atkinson. This is our first podcast, and we're going to be taking a deep dive into shelter medicine at the High Tor Animal Shelter with the help of Dr. Bob Weiner, the NYS BMS president, and Dr. Elizabeth Berliner from Cornell University. In this podcast, we take a look at how a veterinarian for private practice can make a difference in their community animal shelter. And we're going to learn about the different perspective that's needed in shelter medicine. Toward the end, we're going to look at some pointers on how you can get involved in your local community. I am here with Dr. Bob Weiner, who is the president of the New York State Veterinary Medical Society. So hi, Bob. And we're actually here at the High Peaks Resort Hotel for the the board meeting, the executive board meeting, which is really exciting. And we're taking a few minutes to talk about Bob's involvement in the High Tor Animal Shelter. So first of all, welcome, Bob. Great to have you with Thank us. Thank you. Glad to be here. High Tor is your local shelter in Rockland County. High Tor started in about 1972, and my practice in particular served as the the veterinary advisory board for High Tor a number of years ago, um, and I was uh, the veterinary advisory board along with Dr. Gittleman, who was a neighboring veterinarian. The two of us together. While researching for this podcast. I actually found quite a few news clippings online about Hightor, so I'm going to share a few of them here. My name is Debbie DiBernardo. I'm the president of Hightor Animal Care Center here in Pomona, New York. We are the only open admission shelter in Rockland County, which means that we have to take all the animals of Rockland that we have contracts for, and we have all the contracts to incorporate the entire county. The management of the shelter changed. Folks we're looking for from veterinarians were um, medical services for individual animals, but that was where it ended. So, so, so what I guess you're saying is that they were saying, great, you know, we'll bring you an animal which needs treatment, but we don't necessarily see the need to have you involved in the whole operation of the shelter. Is that right? That's right. And I think the, the vision of uh, how veterinarians perceived the shelter and, and how the shelter perceived their mission diverged. Uh, and I think there has been some evolution. The shelter has a different board now. Uh, that, that wants very much to do the right thing on behalf of the animals. And I think veterinarians have evolved as well. There are now veterinarians who specialize as a boarded specialty in shelter medicine and their influences felt by the rest of us. And, um, it allows us to find some common ground that perhaps wasn't there in the past. So you're saying there's a sort of difference between treating an individual animal and then getting involved in the whole operation of the shelter. Can you give me a little bit more background to that? Right. So 
our role in the in the shelter of in the past few years was you know a dog that had a torn cruciate ligament that needed surgery a cat that had a respiratory disease that was sick it's not just fixing this bent pussy cat or that dog with a problem it's looking at the overall facility as as the patient itself and and making sure that that shelter is a a viable entity and the the animals in its care benefit from the fact that the entire organization is healthy. In, in much the same way your red blood cells can't live without the rest of you, the individual animals in the shelter don't thrive if the whole organism isn't well. You've been involved in veterinary medicine for, well, you could say 39 years since you became a vet, although you were a son of a veterinarian, so you could say it's your whole life. And you know, I understand that you hadn't had really much exposure to shelter medicine as a discipline. What were the kind of new things you were learning about what shelter medicine meant for being involved in the shelter? I think it's the whole concept that that the whole shelter, in a sense, has to be like a healthy business. It has to have a, a budget. And I don't just mean a financial budget, although finances are important, but the budget only, ha- the, the, the shelter only has so many resources. It has so much space, so many facilities, so many human resources. And there has to be um, a, a, an overall understanding that you can't take in all of the animals in the world and keep them forever. So um, there's a limit to how many you can have at any one time. And I think what I learned the most from especially Elizabeth Berliner, who's a shelter medicine specialist from Cornell, who came to Hightower to give us an evaluation. That's Dr. Elizabeth Berliner, assistant clinical professor in the Department of Population Medicine and Diagnostic Sciences at Cornell School of Veterinary Medicine. And she's the Janet L. Swanson Director of Shelter Medicine, which is particularly relevant here. So I am a veterinarian primary, first and foremost. Um, I specialize in shelter medicine. Only shelters have worked with contract veterinarians or private practice veterinarians, often to provide individual animal care for cats, dogs, other companion animals in their shelters. I think one of the things she said that really made an impact on all of us who listened to her was that every animal coming into the shelter has to have a plan. There has to be an idea of, you know, what this animal's position is and what it needs. It has to have a pathway. It can't just be here and be in a cage forever. And that's the plan. There has to be, if it, if it has a medical issue, well, there has to be a matrix of what kinds of medical issues is it appropriate for the shelter to be able to deal with. If it has a behavioral issue, is this an animal that, you know, through behavioral, um, the, the behavioral issues can be addressed in some way so that it can become adoptable. These companion animals that are kept in populations are actually better served by a more population level approach. And so to give another example, a farmer with a large herd of cows doesn't necessarily pack up each individual cow and take them to the veterinarian. The veterinarian comes to the farm, and when they come to the farm, they're not only helping that individual animal and looking at individual animal's issues, but they're actually treating the farm like a patient and looking at the environment, looking at preventive health protocols, looking at food um, and nutrition, looking at sanitation and disinfection protocols. And so they're really treating the farm as a patient while they also treat that individual cow. When we are treating cats and dogs in shelters, they are certainly served by that individual animal appointment, but I would argue that in terms of the big picture, they are better served by a veterinarian who is going to the shelter and also treating the shelter as a patient. 
And so that's the real difference in shelter medicine practice. We're certainly focused on that individual animal, but we're focused on the population medicine, preventive health care, outbreak management, um, animal cruelty cases, disaster response, and kind of proactive planning for shelters. And so I'm always considering that big picture along with that individual animal. And that is why I think that in terms of actual shelter medicine practice and engaging on the, on the, with the most broad brush, um, in helping these animals and improving their welfare, that it's great when shelters can consult with shelter medicine veterinarians. And quite a bit of my work is actually consulting with private practice veterinarians that are helping their shelters. And so sometimes it's that third party kind of engagement um, to help them in terms of protocols and interventions that can serve that entire group of animals and not just the one individual cat or dog. Bob, help me understand how this might work for one particular animal. A friend of mine took her dog for a walk yesterday, uh, two days ago, and found a, a cat. And the story was that the cat had belonged to a particular house. The house had had a fire. The people moved away. They abandoned the cat. And the cat looked pretty rough, but was friendly and approachable. And, and so she, brought, she called me. I said, well, let me take a look. Don't, should I bring it to Hightower? Well, you know, Hightower is over capacity. And at the moment, they're trying to have fewer animals, not more. Let, let, let's take a look. Let's see what kind of shape this cat's in. So the cat was unkempt and thin and has a number of health issues, respiratory disease, severe dental diseases. It's, it's an older cat, um, probably friendly, but probably not a cat that somebody would pick compared to the other hundred and something cats at Hightower that need homes. Um, and it had health issues that made me question whether or not this woman should bring the cat into her house with her cats. And she probably doesn't have the resources to do everything that this cat would need. But, you know, this cat was making its way in the world. And maybe with a little shelter and some reliable food could just carry on the way it is. So I said, you know, perhaps in your shed or on your porch, maybe you create a little kitty shelter with, you know, some bedding in it. And you put some food out a couple of times a day and let's vaccinate the cat for rabies so it doesn't represent a risk to you. Um, And just let him be. You know, as a community cat, and he's got a safe place to come and um, and be out of the cold and the weather, and and, and let him be there. It was certainly, if he goes to high tour, he'll probably be stuck there for the rest of his life. The streets entering into the high tour animal rescue were packed today, as supporters of former employees protested and demanded they get their jobs back. I'm standing here at the High Tour Animal Rescue amidst a sea of protesters. Former employees say the conditions of the animal shelter were untenable. Now, an animal shelter like High Tour faces a lot of challenges, and sometimes differences of opinion can boil over into the public eye. So just late last year, before Bob and Elizabeth got involved, there were some differences of opinion about how you balance population at the centre. Even Assemblymember Ken Zabrowski got involved. And here is a comment he gave to WRCR. We need a stable environment with clear, uh, definitive goals that the public understands for running this shelter. Each one of these situations just unfortunately creates a chaotic situation that's not good for the animals and it's not good for sort of public morality. Things got sorted out fairly quickly after Bob, Elizabeth and a whole army of other volunteers got involved. 
and the new cast from the shelters were much more positive. Things have definitely, you know, settled down. Everything is is pretty good right now. The animals are healthy. We don't have any more, you know, disease in the shelter at this point in time. Volunteers here are phenomenal. They really are the backbone of High Tour. And they come every day. They play with the cats. They walk the dogs. They are wonderful. I don't know what High Tour would do without the volunteers that they have. Um, so I've known about High Tour. And they're doing such a good job here, you know. And... There is now an animal welfare committee in Hightower, which consists of four veterinarians, uh, the shelter manager, a couple of board members, uh, a, a dog trainer, uh, and we meet every two weeks uh, by telephone or, or Google Hangout or whatever computer method we're using at the moment. Um, and we have an agenda of which animals need our attention, and we're developing protocols. The Animal Welfare Committee, in an urgent situation, there's a protocol. You know, if there's a veterinarian involved in the shelter manager, we can make a decision if we need to, if, if something is urgent. Uh, otherwise, it can wait until the committee meets in two weeks. And um, and we work our way through this. So we've developed protocols to keep ringworm out of the shelter. Uh, there was an issue at Hightower with ringworm. We've gotten through that. I am tremendously grateful for all the veterinarians who contributed their time. This was not easy. You can picture how much cats, some of them feral cats, loved being dipped in something that's called lime sulfur. And it smells like what you think it would. Uh, and they had to be pilled uh, and, and go through two negative cultures. And 120 cats were treated. That's uh, So uh, there were a lot of veterinary technicians. There were some veterinary students from Cornell and... Uh, and probably half a dozen veterinarians who contributed their time over a three-month period to make that happen. I came in as a consultant to help engage with an intervention that needed to happen relatively rapidly, but then continued to consult um, from the university on protocols, maybe changes to what they were doing with their outbreak management and that sort of thing. And so that is a regular part of my job is to interface not only with, with veterinarians, but with shelter staff um, and even with members of the public around how they can improve welfare in their shelters. We're going to take a short break, and I want to talk about a new member program that is actually very close to my heart. We all know that our veterinary community is struggling with compassion fatigue and depression, but sometimes we all need a safe, confidential and trustworthy place to turn. That's why NYSBMS have set up this number, 888-252-7777. That's 88-252-7700. And that's with our partner, Corp Care. Trained professionals are going to answer day or night and can arrange for you to receive three hours of counselling free with your membership. That's 888-252-7700. Whereas you can have someone that you can talk to completely confidentially. You can learn more on our website at nysbms.org. All right, well, let's get back to our story. 
So, volunteer veterinarians have had a really positive impact at High Tor through applying what they learned about shelter medicine. And it turns out that there's a great need for this kind of help at shelters across the state. So it's really changing. It's changing pretty rapidly. The vast majority of shelters have traditionally engaged with a veterinarian, sometimes on the board, sometimes on a paid basis, sometimes on a volunteer basis, um, to access care. And what we're finding is that that's really shifting, um, at least in the U.S. And so as we're training more people, more veterinarians in shelter medicine practice, more and more of them are engaging veterinarians more in the population way that I described. And at this point, we cannot meet the need for a lot of shelters fast enough with shelter medicine trained veterinarians. I get requests on a weekly basis from shelters looking for shelter med vets they can hire. Um, And so we certainly, unfortunately, at this point, we can't meet the need fast enough. So there are other ways that we can train people. Um, But I do think that really the future for animal welfare, the ability to save more animals, to provide preventive care, um, to decrease euthanasia in shelters, really relies on an in-shelter approach that uses an in-shelter veterinarian in most cases. Absolutely. Another big role for veterinarians, and this has been a traditional role, is to be on the board of directors for your not if it's a nonprofit. Um, and that is a way to kind of understand what's happening at the shelter, provide some advice or insight. Um, and it's a little more hands off from uh, from the animal standpoint, but often can really help um, the the members of the board who are usually attorneys and um, HR, PR people, fundraisers, that sort of thing can really help them with their messaging, um, maybe with kind of figuring out what their targets are and their goals and directing the shelter in that way. That's a huge help. Bob took the step of joining the High Tour board and I asked him what that meant to him and what he hoped to see in the future. Well, I would really like to make High Tour the model of what can happen when veterinarians and shelters work together. And the board was really pretty receptive. They wanted a veterinarian on their board. uh, And um, what I'd really like to see, there are all these other organizations within Rockland that have an interest in, in particular, feral cats, community cats. Um, The uh, municipal governments don't have a good understanding of how to manage these. And these organizations, to some extent, are working at cross purposes and beating each other up on social media to some extent. And I would like to see us bring all of them together and so that we as a community can develop a cohesive plan so everybody's rowing in the same direction so that the municipal leaders understand the concept of trap, neuter, release, that it's understood that living in a small cage in a shelter is not humane forever. Uh, and, and, and develop a sustainable plan that will benefit the animals and, and pool everybody's resources. Wow. So you're obviously doing some great stuff there. It's been a wonderful story. So what would you say to other veterinarians, you know, who may have been thinking of getting involved in their local shelter, um, and are kind of interested? What, what would be your advice to them? I think you should reach out. I think veterinarians have more to offer than just low-cost veterinary service. And I think we as practitioners really need to get ourselves educated in what 
shelter medicine is. You know, you've got the privileged position that, you know, you're running your own practice. Um, it's well established. You've got great staff. So you can take some time to do this. What about, what would you say to a young associate who'd really love to contribute to a shelter, but maybe, you know, has very limited time? I think most shelters are happy with whatever they can get. So if you have a few hours on a day off, you know, when I go to high tour on a Wednesday, I'm there for two or three hours. It's now. Let's take a look at how you could make a contribution. I asked Elizabeth about how veterinarians can learn more about shelter medicine. And so there are lots of options for training in shelter medicine at this point. Um, there are conferences. All of the large North American veterinary conferences have shelter medicine tracks. There is an association of shelter veterinarians, ASV, um, and I'm on that. We oversee quite a few of those tracks. There are regional shelter medicine conferences. We offer a three-day conference at, at Cornell um, specifically for shelter medicine. There are online training courses that are offered um, for credits. You can get a master's in shelter medicine online at the University of Florida. Um, there are also online courses that are free and individual webinars accessed through organizations like Maddie's Fund or ASPCA Pro. So really, there's also textbooks. Um, I think the other important piece of this is that every shelter is different. And although they have common issues or struggles they may be kind of addressing, they also have very individual missions or community needs and that sort of thing. And so sometimes it's just a matter of um, kind of getting to know what's going on in your shelter and then helping them strategize around some pretty simple, simple changes that can help the animals there. What would you expect, um, you know, if I'm a vet and I wander along to my local shelter and say, hey, I'm a vet and I can help. I mean, you know, how, how am I going to be received? You are going to be probably very happily received. But I think what you're getting at and what I think is true is that you can very quickly get drawn into more than you bargain for necessarily or more than you feel prepared to offer. Um, and I think that's fair. I don't think any veterinarian needs to be afraid of volunteering with their shelter. I do think there is an element of identifying what your strengths are and then what things what things may not be your strengths, but that you need to find resources for them. Um, as veterinarians, we're problem solvers, and we often want to solve all the problems for everyone all the time. Um, and so I think the first step in this, and I've talked to Bob about this, the first step is in realizing, what do I know? What are my limitations in being able to help here? And then how do I access resources that can fill in those gaps rather than trying to take it all on? Because I will tell you that as a busy practitioner, if you try to take it all on, you're probably going to get overwhelmed. And then it may be hard for you to help on any on any level. And I think that's fair. There are plenty of veterinarians that help their shelters by identifying a single thing. Maybe how they can is to see that case a week. Maybe they can see one sick cat or one sick dog a week for that shelter. And that is where they they stop, that's fine. That is still a huge benefit to the shelter. Um, it's just important to recognize that that's not a comprehensive shelter medicine practice. And that's cool. Like you are still helping that cat, that dog, that makes a huge difference in the world for that animal and for that adoptive family. Um, but then to realize that there's probably some other pieces that they're going to still need help. And what do you think just on a personal level, a veterinarian would get from doing that work that's different, say, from being in that practice? Um, I think one of the things that veterinarians can get from working with their local shelters is um, a wider connection with the community um, and a community that they may not see coming into their private practice. 
So there is a large subset of animals, whether they are in shelters or whether they belong to low income owners or whether they're community free roaming cats. Um, there's a large subset of companion animals that don't ever walk into a private practice. And that is often shocking um, to private practitioners who haven't realized that there's this large group of animals that aren't accessing care. And so it becomes, it becomes a service role. Um, it become, it allows increased awareness of kind of the issues that our companion animals face, um, who aren't living in a home and, and accessing care through our practice. Um, and a lot of times it just kind of opens up an entire other world of work that is rewarding in a different way than practice, but equally rewarding. Thank you all for listening. Many thanks indeed to Dr. Elizabeth Berliner and Dr. Bob Weiner. And I'd also like to acknowledge the Rockland Westchester Journal News, whose audio clips are used. Special thanks to the members of the NYS VMS Animal Welfare Committee, who came up with the idea of this podcast series in the first place, and who will guide me going forwards. Talking about going forwards, next time please join me when I'm going to visit the High Tor Shelter and meet with board director Debbie DiBernardo and Dr. Sheila McCaffrey, a veterinarian who's been advising the board for some time and helped bring on Dr. Weiner and many other volunteers. I hope you're going to join us. See you then. Bye. Bye.